Hey guys, this is Vikas again with another episode on Run With Fit Page. The topic that I'm going to cover today is extremely important among runners of almost all experiences. There is some point for sure in our running career when we want to make a decision whether moving to barefoot running or minimalistic running is good or not. And this is exactly why we had the pleasure of inviting Scott Douglas to the show. Scott is the writer of a very, very famous book on running barefoot that was The Runner's World Complete Guide to Minimalism and Barefoot Running. Scott wrote this book in 2013 and this went on to become extremely famous. Since then, there has been a lot of research and basis that the shoe companies, the footwear companies have evolved and improved their shoe designs, etc. And in the conversation today, you will see how he demystifies a number of issues pertaining to minimalistic shoes or barefoot running and the benefit that these bring to your running career. Regardless of what stage of running you are at, this conversation may be helpful for you to make a decision whether it is the time for you to make a switch to barefoot running or running in minimalistic shoes or not. Some more information about Scott. Scott has been a veteran in the running industry and is fairly active for now more than four decades. When you look up on the content that he has created, you will be thankful for the kind of contribution he has made to the running industry. Starting from contributing to the runner's world where he is currently to the Atlantic and number of other publications, he has also written or co-authored 13 other books that some of them have gone on to become more like Bibles for people to swear by in running specifically. I love the one that is written with Meb Keflitsky, where he wrote about 26 marathons. It was such an amazing journey to read each of them. Other book that I really, really find that's, uh, that's, that's great is Advanced Marathoning. And we would talk more about in this conversation, as well as we are putting some of those details in the show notes that you can refer to. But I think by the end of this conversation today, you will definitely be more motivated. You'll be able to make a better decision whether running barefoot or running cushion shoes is important or not. Without further ado, let's welcome Scott to the show. Scott, welcome to the show. It's a run with FitPage and it's a great pleasure to have you. Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be among your guests. You've had some awesome guests and I hope I can live up to their standard. For sure. You will live for sure. And uh, we have seen the kind of content that you have produced through your experiences and it's been, it's been phenomenal. We are based in Mumbai, India. Our listeners, as we were speaking, as we started talking that they're based, uh, they're based primarily in India. Their listeners starting from 5K to uh, marathons. To some extent, there are ultramarathoners, and there has been a lot of interest in the understanding the shoes and apparels. And uh, this is something that catches fancier people at various stages, and we want to address it right in the start. And uh, that's how we are speaking with you. Uh, of course, we will cover a lot more details of various other experiences in the running career that you have had, but that's, that's specifically that we will cover. But before we get into any of that, how we start with 
your introduction and your experience of getting started with running? Sure. So I've been a runner since 1979. I, I, I was not even born. <laughs> uh, Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, so I've been a runner since before you were born. I so I, I ran. I, I started while I was in high school, and um, have just kept going. I, I loved it immediately. I continue to love it. Um, I you know I always liken it to like a good relationship or marriage. That you know there's sort of a core there, a core love there, and then the expression of it sort of changes over time. But but there's um, so, so my relationship with running has, has been going on for a long time, and, and it's a, a very strong one. Uh, professionally, I've been writing and editing about uh, running for about 30 years. Um, I currently work primarily on the Runner's World website, the, the U.S. Runner's World website, and um, also write or co-write books. I've written uh, 13 or co-written Tw uh, 13 books, um, perhaps some of which we'll talk about today. Um, so th so that's, that's the real quick version of my both running and professional uh, connection to running. Yeah, no, thank you so much. Your journey at Runner's World has been, has been quite exceptional. How about we get into that a bit more in detail? How did Runner's World happen to you and how did it all evolve, right? You've been there for three decades. It has to be it has to be love for sure, but a lot more than that too that just kept you going for this long. Sure. So I actually started um, professionally writing about running for a, a nonprofit in the United States, a running and fitness nonprofit that no longer exists. But while working there in the early 1990s, I started writing articles for Runner's World and a magazine called Running Times that no longer exist. And um, after a couple of years of that, both Runner's World and Running Times offered me a job. And I actually went with Running Times and um, became the, edit the, the head editor of that publication in the 1990s. Then I left that job, remained in the running writing realm for, for quite a long time, sort of came back full time with Running Times in 2008 it was, and at the time they um, the same company that owned Running Times owned Runner's World, and so then Runner's World brought me on in I think it was 2012, and um, they haven't gotten rid of me yet. So I so maybe I must be doing something okay. Um, so so yeah, I've had a variety of roles with both publications, but but always sort of combining both writing and editing has has been has been my role with both those publications over the last long time. And then I've also written, you know, I've, I've done a lot of writing for other <clears throat> publications, um, primarily about running and fitness, but more sort of mainstream publications, um, US magazines like The Atlantic and Slate and uh, Washington Post, you know, major newspaper here, things like that. Got it. Okay. We will, we will move to your love for writing books. And uh, that's evident from the quality of books that you've written. Of course, 13 books being co-written by you, and uh, some of them are extremely famous. I would say almost all of them are, uh, are in the wardrobe for, with, with a number of runners like us, for example. And um, one of the things that I stumbled upon when we talked about your experience with barefoot running and uh, minimalistic running as you went about researching that and putting that together, and that is what I wanted to cover 
more in detail today. So I want to start with asking a question on how should people and at what stage should people look to make a move from cushioned shoes or wearing shoes, anything that's been comfortable to them so far to make a move to minimalistic shoes or barefoot running? Is this something that everybody should be able to do it? So I would say that everybody should be able to do it. I don't know that everybody, you know, should feel that they are obligated to do it. So the whole barefoot running and minim minimalist running um, thing has changed quite a lot um, over the past decade or so. You know, so I wrote the, the Runner's World Guide to minimal Minimalism and Barefoot Running. Um, I wrote that in 2012 and it came out in 2013. And, you know, since then, there's been a lot of developments in shoe design that have incorporated some of the best parts of minimalism um, without, while maintaining sort of the comfort that most people expect out of running shoes. And um, it's, it's not, it's a little different now than it was say, you know, five or 10 years ago. To get back to answering your question, if people are, are um, running comfortably and happy and healthy in, in whatever shoes they're wearing, my advice would always be to, to not, there's no reason to change. In, in running in general, including footwear, you should never feel like you have to do something, right? We have enough parts in our lives where we have to do things. Running, running should not be one of those things. Um, and, and, and that's not just my sort of, you know, big picture philosophy, but, but the, you know, top-notch physical therapist, uh, top-notch, you know, experts in that field would say that the comfort factor a shoe that feels like an extension of your foot um, is the most important thing in, in, in picking uh, your running shoes. And so for some people, yeah, that will be a lighter, lower, more minimalistic shoe. I'm one of those people. For some people, maybe people who um, have a little bit of extra weight, they might find more comfort in, in, a, in a more cushioned shoe. Um, but in general, you know, in running in general, you know, if things aren't, if things are working for you and you're enjoying it, <clears throat> there's no, you know, you're not obligated to, to then try something different. Um, so let me, let me talk a little bit about, um, the developments in shoe technology over the past decade that have made some of the sort of principles that were really, uh, driving the minimalism movement 10 or so years ago they aren't as relevant now maybe as they were then. And that is that in say 2008, 2009, it seemed like um, running shoes presented you with one option being these like very built up, pretty heavy, pretty controlling type shoes, or these really, really minimal, you know, the, the minimal shoes, um, you know, the, the, the sort of exemplar of that would be the, the Vibram five finger, Right. Which, you know, you feel every stone, you feel every bump in the road, you feel everything in those shoes. There's now, um, starting in, say, 2012 or 2013, unfortunately, right around when my book came out, making my book somewhat irrelevant, um, companies started incorporating some of the principles of minimalism into sort of more conventional shoes. So some of those principles were a lower heel to toe drop, right? So in, say, 2008, 
there are a lot of shoes that, you know, they felt like you were on a high heel, right? So the, the, the heel was much higher than the forefoot. Most shoes now have a lower heel to toe drop than was the case, um, say in 2009. That is a reflection of, of the minimalism philosophy that, you know, the, 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 your foot should sit in the shoe more like it would if you were barefoot, which of course, when you're barefoot, there's no difference between where your heel and, and your forefoot are. So that's one. A second one would be the weight of the shoe. In, you know, again, so say 12 years ago, shoes were pretty heavy. The, the sort of average shoe that a person would go and get at a running store or buy online was, was pretty heavy. Maybe, I'm sorry, I can't do, I can't do conversion to grams right off the top of my head, but in ounces, say 12 ounces. So I don't, what is this, 300 grams? Yeah, about, yeah, 300, yeah. 400 times. Right. Um, now the same the same the same sort of shoe is going to weigh uh, maybe eight ounces so maybe in maybe more in the two 200 grams 250 grams um, so that is also sort of incorporating um, um, sort of principle of minimalism that a lighter shoe is going to allow your foot to move more naturally so so those two things that are now sort of pretty commonplace in in running shoes are um, I think you know, running shoe companies incorporating these principles of minimalism while still making shoes that have that comfort factor that a lot of people struggled with, it, you know, when they were wearing the very extremely minimal shoes. So that's a very long answer to your question, but um, I would say this is, this is one of the, so as I said, I've been running for 42 years. This is by far the sort of the golden age of running shoes. There is the, 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 the quality of what is being made is, is so good. And, and you can get such a good shoe with so much comfort, but still so light. It's, 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 it's so much different than it was 12 years ago. It's, it's a, there's so many good running shoes now. It's, it's great. The, the problem is not finding a good running shoe but picking among <laughs> the, the many, many good running shoes that exist. True, true. The the good running shoes and good looking running shoes both exist nowadays. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So that's true. Uh, so, so let's. So how do we read it now? Um, Ten years ago, when uh, when you wrote the book, it was it was so relevant. I I remember. I think it was in two thousand fourteen. I had just gone to business school. That's when I picked up your book. When I when I read it, and the the five fingers vibrams were, they had picked up a lot almost uh, you know an ultra runner you would see is uh, is wearing them and and people are asking them about it and uh, things were getting very popular about barefoot running shoes as you explain the situation it seems like that either the running companies uh, took a cue from it and uh, and they they made the shoes to reflect or to resonate with the, the barefoot kind of experience, or they naturally progressed in that uh, situation. Either way, how do we how do we then make an assumption now going forward? Does this mean that barefoot running may not be as relevant in today's day and age, or will it still make a lot of sense for people to move to? And if it has any other benefits naturally, for example. Yeah. So. I would so I I try to think of this in the same way that we might think about elements of a training program, right? So a good training program, you're not doing the same thing every day, right? 
And, and um, a, one way to think about shoes is to think of them as tools <clears throat> and, and the right shoe for one day might not be the right shoe for another day. And um, it sounds, I know it sounds odd to tell people to go out and buy, maybe have four different pair of running shoes because I understand that that's initially a big financial outlay, but um, over time, you know, your outlay will be the same, right? So um, barefoot running or minimalist running, um, those, sh those shoes are, are great for things like if you're doing short sprints or um, um, stri striders, so just sort of like, or, or form drills, like running form drills, um, things like that where, where you don't have to worry about gosh, is this still going to feel comfortable an hour into my run or, or what kind of surface might I encounter? Because a lot of often you might do these, you know, form drills or, or, or short, fast running on a track, which is a, you know, a more forgiving surface or perhaps even on grass. Um, so I would say that that's the best use of um, sort of the almost nothing there shoes and, and or barefoot running. Um, I mean, barefoot running, feels wonderful on, on the right surface, but you know, it can be difficult for many of us to find <laughs> easy access to that surface. Um, there's, so on my run this morning, I saw this guy who I, I see probably three or four, morning, three, four mornings a week. He runs barefoot on, on the road, on asphalt, on macadam here. And um, wow, I mean, setting aside, setting aside even the, the comfort of, of his foot eating at ground, there's just so much stuff on roads, right? There's, there's broken glass and various stones. And I can see him when I see him, you know, he's sort of weaving his way around, <laughs> around the road, you know? And I think a lot of people, I think that was one of the reasons that a lot of people sort of, after an, an initial um, exploration of barefoot running, were sort of like, well, I don't, I just want to go run. I don't want to have to think about where every foot is falling, you know? That was certainly the case with me. Like, um, I, I appreciated the um, sort of um, what it felt like wearing Vibram Five Fingers, but it got tiresome very soon to um, always be looking ahead and like, oh, there's a rock there. I got to veer to the right or, or all that sort of stuff. So um, lighter, lower shoes, I think for the average runner are perhaps best used for if you're doing like a track workout of, of, of short, fast repeats and or races. I mean, so, so elite runners have run in what, you know, we would call minimalist shoes forever. They're called spikes, right? Or racing. Yes. Um, so, and those have a role. You don't wear them every day. You don't wear them, you know, on your, on your weekly long run necessarily. But you do wear them on when when they're the right tool for the job, in the same way that on a day after that hard workout, when your legs are tired and you're just going to be going at an easy pace, maybe the right tool for a job is a is a more cushioned yeah. built up. Yeah, no, no, that's a, that's pretty logical and and fairly reasonable explanation. Could we could we say in that case that in your training cycle, or not rather training cycle, in a typical training week? Could there be a day or two where um, if you're doing a track workout, like you said, if you pick up a minimalistic shoe to run in or, um, or you're running barefoot, could there be physiological um, changes or benefits as well 
that is uh, you adapting to the stresses differently your foot is landing um, a little more differently than how it would be if you are wearing a, a for example a sport shoe or something like that yeah for for a couple reasons um one would be um the lighter lower shoe and or barefoot is going to have you up on your forefoot more which is going to um help you run faster during your short bouts um it's going to um strengthen some muscles in your feet that that you know a, a very thickly cushioned shoe isn't going to and then there's also um you know i mentioned having a bunch of different shoes and um there's there's research that has shown that rotating among different types of shoes is a way to lower your injury risk there was a study where um so there was a study where I believe it was a close to six month study, maybe five months, where they had half of the people run in just one one pair of shoes, and then the other half rotated among two or three different models during that time. And the ones who who wore a couple different types of shoes had thirty nine percent fewer injuries during that period than the people who wore only one shoe. Why is that? Because if we think about most running injuries, it's because of a sort of, a, you know, it's not like an injury where a football player suddenly grabs his hamstring because he's torn his hamstring, right? They're, they're overuse, repetitive strain injuries from the same forces again and again and again. So one way to, to sort of not get caught in that cycle is to vary the, vary the forces. And one way to do that is to have different types of shoes that will have you running a little bit differently and will mean, you know, one pair might, might mean a little bit more um, forefoot landing. One pair might be a little more heel landing and that's going to vary the forces on your body and theoretically um, then lower your injury risk to any one part of them of your body. So yeah, there's, there's lots of good physiological reasons to um, incorporate this sort of stuff into your running. Yeah. This to me seems like um, more like a type of training, like how you, you include strides, intervals, hill repeats and things like those. It's changing shoes can be so interesting, like you said, and these are uh, small adaptations that will, that, that will get you so far and, and also be able to help you prevent injuries, which is extremely important for a sustainable and a good running and racing career. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, because, because I mean, the most important thing in, in any runner achieving success, whatever her his goals are, is consistency. And you can't be consistent if you get injured. I mean, like the, the number one thing is like, don't get injured so that you can be consistent. Yeah, no, makes uh, makes a lot of sense to me. How about for absolute beginners? Uh, you see when um, beginners pick up running, there could be a number of reasons for them to pick up one they have a they have a personal aspiration of racing in an event so they want to go and do this or they want to have a, um, a maybe a health goal they want to achieve uh, whether it's losing weight or anything else now what also happens is because beginners who have who may have had a sedentary lifestyle they are not used to running which can be considered fairly high impact exercise when being done for a for over a period of time etc now for these absolute beginners, what in your opinion should be the case? Should they be considering at this stage for barefoot running or, or minimalistic shoes or 
it's a done much better at a later stage when you have matured into an uh, intermediate to advanced runner. Yeah, I, I would, <clears throat> I, that's, that wouldn't be my first focus if I were a beginning runner. I would, I would focus on um, finding a pair of shoes that feels comfortable when I run in them, um, that, that just when I, when I run in them, I'm sort of not thinking about them. That's a sign that it's a good shoe, that the shoe is working in sync with your body. Right. Um, in the same way that, you know, yeah, a beginner wants to first master the basics um, before worrying about how fast their hill sprints are, <laughs> right? Or, or anything like that. The, the beginners, you know, first, first should concentrate on mastering the basics similar in the same way like just don't don't worry about all this stuff when you're starting out um find a comfortable pair of shoes that that is that feel good when you run in them and um and then establish the routine get get established as a runner then you can start you know sort of tinkering and 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 you know yeah. add, adding other elements so so yeah. And especially yeah. again, you know, as you say, many people, um, one reason a lot of people start to run is because they want to lose weight. And so if someone is a little heavier than they were, say when they were 20, then yeah, a, a Christian shoe is going to, going to help with some of that. Um, because you know, the running is enough of a, the running is enough of a new stress to the body when you're starting out. So, 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 yeah. yeah. Don't don't add this other element of of you know <laughs> running barefoot on 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 macadam or asphalt. You know. Yeah. True. True. Very very well put. And uh, I wanted for it to come from you primarily because as people get started with running, they go on a shopping spree on number of occasions and uh, looking at the gadgets, looking at um, looking at the the vest, the clothing, the apparel,s shoes. And uh, possibly at times people do an overkill of it where they're possibly spending 99% of their effort to get that 1% benefit, which in itself may not be sustainable. And like you said, adding another element at this early stage of running is not important. Just get the basics, right? Or just get out and be consistent with it in a, in a normal and nice shoe, right? Yes, completely agree. Yeah. Yeah, cool. No, uh, makes it makes a lot of sense. Uh, just one more question on uh, barefoot running. Let's assume that all other variables are similar in a way that the shoes are available that uh, resemble to minimalistic shoes. The heel to toe drop ratio is a lot lesser, but at the same time, they're extremely expensive. If, if that is the case and someone still wants to graduate into barefoot running, with a purpose of running faster. Do you think there, in your experience as you were writing the book or at a later stage, did you come across anything where you saw that there was a difference in running performances between when someone was running barefoot versus if they were running in shoes? Certainly some shoes are going to allow you to run faster than other shoes, right? And otherwise we would wear our work shoes to run in, you know? Um, Barefoot though, that's tough. Um, there, um, you know, if it really worked in terms of making someone faster in a race, you would see a lot of elite runners do so, even though they have shoe sponsorships. 
because they'll, yeah. you know, we're talking about people who, you know, not, uh, we're talking about people who, who do all sorts of things to maximize, get every single fraction of a percent of improvement. Yeah. And, and if barefoot running allowed them to run a marathon in 204 instead of 205, they would do it. They don't do it. You don't see them doing it. So to me, that's sort of like, okay. Um, I mean, obviously there's been a couple isolated examples in running history of, of people who raced barefoot, um, but they're, they're not the norm. And, and I always think in, in, in lots of things concerning running that if we look to the, if we look to the best runners in the world, we can sort of learn what works for all of us. Um, because again, if, if that worked, if that really made a difference in terms of running a faster marathon, then they would do it. Um, and they don't, you know, in the same way that if you hear, if you hear what sound like, you know, um, if somebody is talking about diet, right. And they say, no, 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 everything you've heard is wrong. Do this instead. And you'll be so much faster. You know, my counter, I always think, well, is that what the best runners do? Because if, if there was, if it really worked, there would be enough of them who would experiment with it and, 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 and do it. And the second that, that a few of them did it and it seemed to work, then everybody else would. Right. And that's, and, and, and so in general in running, you know, we don't want to copy the, the best runners in the world because, you know, we're not all. Well, first of all, most of us have jobs other than running and, and most of us don't have their genetic gifts. But in terms of like uh, figuring out what works for most people, that's a really good way to go about um, sort of deciding how to do things, whether it's shoes or diet or training principles or whatever. Um, they've been conducting this sort of ultimate experience for decades now. Um, you know, this is their livelihood. This is everything to them. You know, some of them are even willing to risk their health by taking, you know, by, by, by taking, by doping, you know, so they're obviously going to do whatever they think helps them be as fast as possible. And, and if there were something that somebody says, oh, everything you've heard is wrong, and this is the way to do it, they would be, they would be the first ones doing it. Um, and so if they're not, then you have to, it's always a good idea to then to step back and say, well, wait a minute, what do they know that I don't know? They probably know more. <laughs> they probably know more than I do um, just through experience. So um, long answer, certainly a lighter, you know, like, like I said, racing flats are, are, have been common for, for decades, right? And, and that's what elites wear when it's time to, to run as fast as possible. And, and certainly, those will help them run faster than their everyday training shoes. Barefoot, um, I mean, for a half marathon on the roads, I'd, I've never seen um, a world-class performance, right? Um, by, by, I mean, you, you, have, you have massive half marathons there in India with, with, with incredible top-notch fields. I, look, look at the top finishers, if any of them are wearing bare, are, are barefoot. Yeah, no, true. That makes my life a lot easier by you answering this question, I I've been tired of answering some of these uh, on number of occasions. So, so thank you for <laughs> for doing that. Okay, now so the question about your book and research when you conducted and you wrote the book in two thousand twelve. Now, 
uh, seeing in 2021 with the way technology has evolved, are you considering to update the version? Is there anything else that's coming up on that? Or what do you think as of today about it? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not planning to, I'm not planning to do anything about it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, shoot, there, there's been, there's a really good book that came out in 2019 in the States called Kixology by Brian Metzler. And it's, um, okay. um, Kix is a, in the U.S., Kix is a sort of slang term for shoes. So it's K-I-C-K-S-O-L-O-G-Y, Brian Metzler. Um, and it's sort of a history of running shoes and, and explains why, why running shoes are like they are and where they might be going. Um, that's a really, really if, if, if people are interested in sort of the development of running shoes um, over the past 50 years and where it might be going, that's a great resource for that. That's a book that I like. I thought about writing, and then he wrote it, so I was like, "Good, I don't, you know, I, I don't have to. I don't have to. I can scratch that off my list." Yeah. Oh, nice. Uh, I'm going to. I'm going to find this book where it's available. I'm going to pick it up for sure. Yeah. Nice. Uh, okay, let's switch gears to your other books. Yes. And specifically, the book that you wrote together with Meb. Yes. How that was the experience of um, going through his journeys of various marathons. And yeah. uh, narrating that in a way that it just, it provided us so much of insight in what was going on as he was training and racing. At the same time, it's, a, it's, a, it's so inspirational. How was it for you writing it? Oh, so, yeah, so I've written two books with Meb Kaplewski. Um, the book you're talking about, 26 Marathons, was the second one that we did together. Um, so writing those two books with Meb is one of the certainly um, highlights of my life, not just not just on a professional level, but just, you know, and not because, oh, look at me, I wrote a book with Meb, but he is one of the most um, just incredible people, you know, I've ever met that anyone's going to meet. He who happened, you know, he happens to be a, a, happens to have been a, a champion marathoner, but just just a, a, an incredible human being. Um, and if you can't get inspired by Meb, then, you know, <laughs> you know, the, there's not much hope. Um, so to, it was an honor to present Meb's story, you know, to, to contribute to Meb telling his story, which, you know, I don't, you, you probably had in your work, you know, you have a, you know, have, um, you know, a very involved, intense project with somebody or with people. And you know, it's not always the case that at the end of those you like the people better than you did at the beginning of the of the intense project, right? Um, I, I, you know, I, I like and admire Meb more now than I did before we before we started working together. It was absolute um, pleasure and privilege to work with him, um, and I learned and I learned so much. You know, um, I mean, there's lots in in both of the books. There's lots of these sort of, you know details about training and diet and stuff like that. But I just learned so much about um, the importance of one's mindset, um, both in sport and in life, um, and, and how, um, you know, how, how having the right goals and, and motivation and mindset can, can do so much and um, help you, you know, live, not only get the best out of yourself, but, but live a satisfying life. Um, and I also just, I mean, in terms of like running advice, you know, he has this great idea that like, there's always something you can improve. Um, 
you know, so like I said, I've been running for a long time. You know, my my days of setting personal best are, are long, long past. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's it doesn't mean that the right approach for me then is to just say, well, that, you know, that was then, this is now. I'm I'm just gonna I you know, there's nothing I can do. There's always something I can be working on um, to 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 run better and and to enjoy my running better. Um, so that, that that was like sort of a big picture point that I got from Meb that um, has really stuck with me. But also just this idea of 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 how strong he was psychologically. That you know, if you looked at most races, um, you know, there's oh here's our field, you know, for the New York City Marathon, and they would list the people in order of their personal best, and Meb's personal best might always be twelfth or fourteenth on that list. And you know he's going to finish in the top three, you know, and 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 so he's no he was no more physically gifted than than the people he was competing with, maybe even a little bit less. But you know his he's, he's so strong mentally that that you know that 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 really struck stuck with me, and and because that's something that we can all work on, you know, regardless of how physically gifted we are, we can all um, we can all you know. Get the most of out the best out of ourselves in that regard. Yeah, yeah. This is this is such an important uh, point, and uh, and I'm so glad that you brought this one point. I, this was my open question where I had asked you primarily because there are millions of people like me who are who are so inspired by him and his performances. But when I when I look at the the point of mindset and being psychologically so strong, when you talk about this point. This is so similar to almost every top marathoner or top sports person that you meet and speak with, right? At almost all the level, everybody talks about exactly the same thing. That is that the art of not, not just giving up, yes. right? They do not give up. And also they have the strong mindset of just keep going, keep getting better and better. I was speaking with Ryan Hall, with... Yes. Uh, Bill Rogers with Dick Beardsley, almost each of these people, they say that every time they get through a setback, they want to have a comeback that's stronger than setback. And and that's exactly what you're alluding to. That's a that's such an important point for people to take away. Yeah. So um, actually, my most recent book, it came out in June, it was called The Genius of Athletes. And I wrote it with uh, Dr. Noel Brick of Ireland, yeah. who is a, an endurance psychology uh, professor and researcher. And the book basically um, shows all these mental tools that top athletes have. And, and, and um, not only that they have these tools, but they know which tool to use in which situation. And, um, you know, so, so um, if, when they're struggling, you know, halfway to a race, you know, they'll say, oh, I need, you know, I'm going to think about things one, two, and five, you know. Um, so, so there are some key things that all these people do that, um, that we all can do and we can all learn how to do. Um, one of the main things is this is an idea is what's called motivational self-talk. So if you think about when you're out for a run and maybe you're struggling, right? <clears throat> so say, say you went out, say you want to go for a a 10 kilometer run and at five kilometers, you know, you're just having a tough day. It's just not going how you want. Yep. You know, a lot of people, our default might be, 
boy, this stinks. I, I'm no good at this. I don't want this to keep going on. You know, top athletes, you know, will, will recognize it's not going well, but, you know, they don't just say like, well, that's that, you know, what can I do? They, 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 you know, they, I, I I'm going to do this, you know, they're going to say, I'm going to do this. How best, how can I, what can I do to, to then for the, for the rest of the time, make this go as well as possible. And one of the, one of the main key things is um, motivational self-talk. So saying, you know, telling themselves, no, you, you know, you're doing good. You can do this. Um, you, you're more than halfway, you know, you've done this, you know, you've done this thousands of times, you know, you can, you know, they find ways, they find ways to, to, to talk to themselves um, in the way that a coach would. And one of the, one of the key things that, um, there's like relatively recent research on not just the, the, the character of this talk. So it's, a, you know, you're talking to yourself in a, in a motivational way rather than, you know, saying, oh, you stink, you know, you're no good. You know, they, they talk to themselves in a motivational way, but um, most, and, and it's, I would, I would encourage you and your listeners to think about this. What do you do with your self-talk when things get tough? They, they, they most will address themselves in the third person. So they will call themselves you, right? Rather than I. So instead of, you know, some will say, oh, I can do this. But a lot of them will say, no, come on, you can do this. Um, there's, there's a story in, in, in the book, 26 Marathons, um, by, with, that I wrote with Meb. There's the story of um, the 2012 Olympic Marathon, where he was in 20, 21st place at halfway. And he finished fourth. He was in 21st place at halfway. He was on the verge of dropping out. And, and, and he started saying like, oh, my foot hurts. Um, I, it's not going, my stomach hurts. He's talking to himself like as I, right? Yeah, yeah. He then intervenes and, and says, and starts talking to himself as you. You are privileged to be here running the Olympic Marathon. Your family is waiting for you at the finish line. What example will it set for your children if they see you drop out today? And so he resolves, okay, you're going to finish no matter what. And then he starts talking to himself like, okay, get on this, you know, hang on to these guys. And then he starts feeling better. So he says, okay, you can beat one of the, try to beat one of these guys. And so he switches the talk. So it's not only, not only again, it's not only that the, 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 the nature of what he's saying to himself has changed, but the manner in which he's saying, he's, he's talking to himself, as if he's a coach, right? Because a coach is never going to say, you stink, get off the court, <laughs> right? A coach is going to say, come on, you can do it. Keep, you know, yeah. find a way, you know, get on, like, get on the, you know, latch onto that group, you know? Um, and so that's a really, really key thing that um, all of us can do. There's research where uh, cyclists were given, were to do a 10 kilometer cycling trial as fast as they could. And they were taught, these motivational self phrases, right? And in one, they, they address themselves as I, and in another, they address themselves as you. And in the ones in which they talk to themselves in the third person, calling themselves you, they did 2.2% faster. Wow. Even though they, even though they said, even though they rated the, the, um, their effort level to be the same between when they call themselves I and when they call themselves you. Um, that is, that's incredible. You know, I mean, 2.2%. 2 
If you're yeah. running a, I mean, if you're running a, a 50 minute 10 K, what is that? 2% is whatever. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't try to do math. Before I fly, <laughs> but, um, it's it's a hundred seconds. Yeah. A minute 40. That's, inc- yeah. that's an, you know, who wouldn't, of course, Yeah, you know, we, I mean, we talked about shoes. People would do anything to run. Be, oh, if you said wear this pair of shoes, it'll make you a minute 40 faster. Of course they would, you know? Um, so, so anyway, Meb was, Meb was, is incredible at this stuff. Um, and, and it's something that, but as you said, all these top runners are, <clears throat> and it's something that we can all learn how to do. And, and, um, not only perform better, but sort of enjoy it more, right? Because who wants to who wants to spend your runs thinking like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. What am I doing? This, you know, this is no fun. Um, yeah. So the psychological stuff um, is massive, and I think and I think it's going to be like, <clears throat> I think for the average runner, I think over the next decade, like really where a lot of us are going to um, see a way to make some gains. Um, sort of an untapped area, an untapped area that a lot of us can explore, right? Because at least here in the in the United States, you know, when when we used to hear about people athletes consulting with a sports psychologist, it was because they were quote having problems, right? They they didn't do it. Um, <clears throat> it wasn't something that like everybody did, right? But you would never say, oh well, only the weak, you know. Oh, you should go lift weight. You know, you should do strength training um, because you have problems. Like, uh, you know, all elite runners do strength training. All elite runners do all this other stuff. And, and an increasing number of them, um, you know, sort of recognize and spend time on the psychological stuff. And I think most of us who aren't elite runners aren't yet doing that. Um, whereas, whereas, you know, by now, most of us know if we, if we find good sources of information, such as your podcast, we know how to go about the basics of, of physical training. But I think I think for the next decade, this, this psychological stuff is going to be um, where a lot of runner, a lot of recreational runners can can find a whole new area in which to explore and potentially um, get perform better and enjoy their running more. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's so important for for people to staying the course and staying motivated as as you would also see even here in india increasingly sports psychologists are getting more and more popular people are visiting to them not because they have a problem but there are so many aspects of it that needs to be covered and only through an expert advice can you cover them so you're absolutely right it will be a very interesting space to see how that evolves and uh, and yeah we it will it will be amazing to see what are some of the researches that come about as well from there Maybe uh, a research like that, like the 2.2% uh, improvement, there'll be a lot more that will be coming out from a detailed study of these. Yeah. And, and I mean, an important point to make that, or to reemphasize is that, you know, this stuff can be taught. It's not like um, so-and-so is naturally gifted at that and I'm not. And then, so therefore I'm, I'm stuck with this, you know, bad set of psychological tools. It can be taught. Um, in in the way that you know, you, lots of things can be taught. Most things can be taught. Yeah, true. Okay, we're reaching towards the end. I have one or two more questions uh, to you, Scott. Uh, you have written uh, these really, really uh, phenomenal books. Uh, other than these two books that we talked about, what else do you suggest as resources for runners, whether from improving performances 
or um, for them to be staying motivated or anything else that you think that will be helpful for runners who are listening to us? Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, I mentioned my, my latest book called the genius of athletes, um, about, about the sport psychology stuff. And that, I think that that would be, that would be the one I would most recommend for, for, um, runners at all levels for more advanced runners. Um, one of the books that I've co-written with, um, a different Olympic marathoner than Matt Kutlowski, uh, is a book called advanced marathoning. And it is, it is, um, has, has very detailed, um, in-depth explanation of, of how to run your fastest marathon after, you know, so this is, this is more for like, you've done one marathon, you know, you, you've, you've gotten that incredible achievement out. Um, you've gotten that incredible achievement and now you want to see how fast you see how fast you can go for the distance. The book advanced marathoning is, is for that purpose. Those, those would be the two main ones that I think could be helpful for a broad number of people. Um, other people's books, um, I would say Dina Castor, who um, she was an Olympic marathon medalist and she has the US record in the marathon. She has a book called Let Your Mind Run. And it's, um, it's, a, it's her story and how all the sports, the sports psychology um, things that we've been talking about um, helped her you know, become her best, not only best runner, but best person. And there's a lot of um, information there that people can can pick up on and, and make use of in there. So uh, Let Your Mind Run by Dina Castor would be, um, I think, a, a great uh, resource for a lot of people at a, at a variety of levels of, of running. Yeah, nice. Uh, and advanced marathoning is so good. I remember having conversation with uh, one of the amateur marathoners and uh, he was at a 310 312 and uh, as of today he's at 247 wow and uh, and he talks about you and Pete Fizinger um, the book and that the concepts that he talks about is just phenomenal good thank you so yeah it's a it's a extremely popular we will put the um, put the link in the show notes it's uh, from human kinetics if i'm not wrong the the book that you've written in June may not be available in India as yet, but I think it may be coming up soon here. Okay. Cool. That is all for today from me. Is there anything else that you would want to address to our listeners as closing notes before we say goodbye? No, I just want to say, I, I, I'm, again, I really appreciate you having me on and um, I appreciate your efforts to get good information out. Um, I know that running is increasingly popular in India and that's that's fantastic um because running can so improve so many people's lives and so it's great anytime that running um you know takes hold in a country it's 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 wonderful to see right now thank you so much it's a, it's a pleasure and uh, i look forward to connecting hopefully sometime soon in the US yeah that'd be great that'd be great i'll be here all righty thank you so much All right, guys, this is all for today. I'm looking forward to speaking again in exactly one week. Up until then, if there is another topic you would want for me to cover or if there is any feedback you would want for me to keep in mind to improve further, please feel free to reach out to me at vikas at theredfitpay.in. I'm always available on all social media channels as well as via email. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We have a lot more to offer on nutrition, training and fitness. 
check the FitPage app or visit our website fitpage.in.